This event was recorded live at the 2019 Edinburgh International Book Festival, a 17-day celebration of words and stories welcoming authors and audiences from around the globe. You can hear more events by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, and watch event videos at edbookfest.co.uk and on YouTube at edbookfest. Good evening and welcome to the Edinburgh International Festival. Um, as some of you may have noticed, I am not Bethany Hughes. Um, Bethany, who was the chair of the judges of the 2019 Man Booker International Prize, was due to be here today sitting where I'm sitting, but she's away filming in Pompeii where they decided that today was the day when they were going to open a special tomb for her to explore. So she's very, very sorry that she can't be here. She gets a bitter story. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Fiametta Rocco. I'm the um, chief culture writer at The Economist and also the administrator of the International Booker Prize. Today's International Booker Prize Day at the Edinburgh Book Festival and August is Women in Translation Month. So there are many, many reasons why it's such a particular pleasure, Jocka, to welcome you to Scotland, but it's also a chance to say Welcome home. Thank you. <laughs> Jocka wrote her PhD in Arabic literature at Edinburgh University. And of course, her novel, Celestial Bodies, was published by a Scottish publisher, Sandstone Press, in Inverness. So a very, very warm and special thank you to you. Thank you. At the dinner in London in May, when Jocka was announced as the winner of the 2019 Man Booker International Prize, Bethany Hughes, who had chaired all the judges for almost a year, said, our winner is a book that captures both the head and the heart. It's subtle, lyrical, profound. It cunningly catapults the reader into new orbits of experience, of prose, poetry, and ideas. With delicate artistry, it evokes the forces that contain us and those that set us free. One line, she said, seems to capture the spirit of the prize and of internationalism itself. We get to know ourselves better in new, strange places. What is this place called forgetting? Jocka, you flew from Muscat in May with your sister and your husband and your baby, as one of six shortlisted authors, what did you think was going to happen? I think I was going to enjoy the the evening, uh, meeting fabulous people like you and the judges, the shortlisted authors. Uh, So, yeah, yeah. But my sister, Zina, had higher expectations. She said... I wouldn't take an eight-hour flight if I didn't know that you will be the winner. (laughs) And this is the the Arabic edition. Hold this up. This is the new Arabic edition of Celestial Bodies, and this is Zina on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she deserves that. (laughs) So then on the night, it was you and your translator, Marilyn Booth, crowned the winners. This is the first time an Arabic writer had ever won the prize. Um, And it's interesting because your book had not been submitted for 
the International Prize for Arabic Fiction, which is the big prize of the region. But when you return to Moscow, in the airport, there was this enormous electronic billboard with your face and your announcement and everything. What was it like to have that reception? <laughs> Embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather sneak from the airport to my house um, for a private person like me. It's just going... Uh, but of course, it was great to see that kind of recognition for cultural achievement. Because, you know, you know back home, usually they recognize more of sport achievements, mm. uh, economic achievements. To, so to see that recognition for something cultural is really thrilling. And on the other hand, uh, this kind of uh, uh, things... Uh, made a lot of people interested in reading the book. And, uh, you know, some people are not necessarily used to read, you know, fiction or literature, but they get... Especially uh, Yes, yes, yeah. of course. So they get curious, and uh, many of them just read the book. So it was good <laughs> to see so that. So this, this was... Wonderful recognition, because this is not the first book you've written. Yes, of course. You've written how many? Uh, ten in total. Ten. <laughs> ten, ten novels and uh, no, three, three novels. Three novels. Three collections of short stories, of uh, academic books and yes. children's books. And children's books as well. Well, the reaction from the Arabic press was very positive. Most, mostly very positive. Yes. We'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> yes. Before I come back to your book... Um, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a writer in Oman. I mean, I think it would be fair to say that most people around the world don't necessarily know that there is a literary world in Oman at all. Yes. Well, I will answer this in two points. Mm. The first point is about Arabic reception, and the second point is about Oman. <coughs> so about Arabic reception, uh, you know, uh, at least for the recent uh, history and throughout recent history, cities like Beirut or Cairo has, uh, have been dominated the uh, cultural scene in, in, in the area. And uh, so perhaps it was expected that the winner would be from one of these cities, uh, perhaps uh, someone really old or really well-known or a woman doesn't wear hijab <laughs> or something like that. So uh, here comes someone from Far East, from Oman, relatively young. I'm not that young, but relatively. Um, and uh, it did come as a surprise. So, uh, uh, but, at, at, but the good thing uh, is a lot of articles have been written about it. Even the article, uh, um, they, there are two kinds of articles, praising the novel and critical to the novel. But both are, are good, I think, uh, in, in, in recognition, the achievement. Um, and these, these were articles... All across the Arab yes, world. Yes, all not across. Just in Oman, or no, even no. just in the Gulf. No, it no, was no. Everywhere. Everywhere, actually, and uh, a lot of them that I 
couldn't have a chance to read all of them. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I read so many. So uh, there is a magazine called Merit in Cairo. For August, it has like, I think, 13 or 18 articles on, on my, my book. Uh, yeah. That's huge. <laughs> that's amazing. Yes, it's, pages, it's amazing. Fantastic. But beside this, uh, like, s let's say, this attitude from cultural people, I, al I also got um, uh, emails and messages from people that I don't know who simply said that they are proud. And I remember one message from Gaza in Palestine uh, from someone who I don't know, but he said, I just want to say that we are in Gaza, have very few pleasures in life. Thank you for giving us one. So oh, that was so sweet. Yes. How wonderful. Yeah. The other point is <coughs> about Oman. And uh, in Oman, we use this term, uh, uniqueness of Oman. And we mean by this term that uh, although Oman has very long and rich uh, history, it uh, produces a lot of culture, a lot of literature, um, uh, publishing, but uh, it is silent. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, maybe we as a nation are uh, a bit uh, introverted. Uh, a bit silent, uh, so there is a lot of things happening, but not really, uh, people don't really talk much about it. But uh, I want to say that uh, 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 this silence doesn't mean that there is no noise behind the scene. So they're not, it's not people who show off, they yes. they're not shouty. No. No. <laughs> what was it like to grow up and become a writer there? Um, nice, I would say. I mean, I had a uh, good opportunity. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, you were speaking earlier about your son, who is 11. Yes. He's a reader. Yes. And you must have been a reader. Yes. Oh, I was, <laughs> I was crazy <laughs> about reading. Mm, I will tell you something. I grew up in a very small town, and all my family uh, are good readers, and uh, my grandfather was a poet, and we have, uh, like, a big library at, at home. But then my mom would rather uh, prefer me to write more, like, elegant, <laughs> elegant books and uh, classical uh, Arabic books instead of novels. So uh, it was a bit difficult to convince her or my daddy that I, I want to read everything. So then I came up with this solution one day, and I said, what about <coughs> visiting my grandmother in her farm? And just she's so lonely, I would just spend the days with her. And my mom was, oh, you became really sweet. <laughs> 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 so, so I escaped my house to my grandmother, who was so, <laughs> she, she didn't bother what I'm reading. So I spent like days and days just reading all the novels that I wanted to read. How fantastic. <laughs> yes. So you escaped with a 
With a book. Yes. With a book. Oh, a, a lot of them. I think the whole collection of Agatha Christie at the time. Oh. <laughs> I was 10. How marvellous. <laughs> so are there, um, is there a community of writers? Yes, of course. And uh, also we have cultural club, which is very active and uh, uh, literary uh, forum and m many, many different things. Some of them are uh, like private, mm. but some of them are, uh, belong to the government. It's not as much as we wish for, but it's, it's there and people are active in it. Tell us about the book. I mean, it's a, it's on, the, on the surface, it seems a deceptively simple story. It's about three sisters who live in a village called Awafi, about two hours from Muscat, um, the capital city. Can you, can you summarise it for those who haven't read it yet? Uh, I think the author is the worst <laughs> person to summarise <laughs> his story. I wrote it in five years, so I, I can't summarise it in five minutes, but maybe my publisher, what is he, maybe he's the best one <laughs> to do it. Um, I would I would say it's uh, well, it's about three sisters. Yes, it's 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 about uh, the rapid change in uh, change in in, in Oman uh, throughout uh, four generations in two families, and how they react differently to these changes in Oman and how the values change as well, and uh, how people react to love and laws and friendship, so these kind of ideas. And it's also partly about social changes, it's about um, demographic change, about, about people moving from an agrarian society to the city. Yes. And a lot of the tensions that are there. Yes. One of the very big themes is slavery, which was I found it incredibly, not surprising, but it's a very touching story about slavery. And slavery was abolished in 1970, and it's not really talked about in Oman. Why, why, why is it not talked about? And, and does it still exist? No, no. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist anymore, of course. But... Uh, I think we are still in aftermath. It had a long history, didn't it? Yes. I think we, we are still in aftermath <laughs> slavery. So, <clears throat> so it's, uh, you know, it's not something just about Oman. It, 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 uh, it was practicing in many countries. And the reaction nowadays uh, to it is, uh, let's say, D uh, it, it's different from country to another. Uh, some uh, some uh, some places in the world are really open to talk about all the aspects of slavery and to 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 uh, talk about it openly. But in Oman, it's still like a sensitive issues, and uh, the traces of it. Maybe the traces not the right word, but I just want to say that. In social class, uh, uh, in marriage, for example, you still see this segregation. I mean, there's no slaves anymore, but there is something in, in the social class uh, related to it. Be between 
people who their father, their people who are descendants of yes, slaves, yes, and people who yes. were not. Yes. Why did you want to explore that? Why was that important for you? It's very important for me because uh, the question of freedom is important for me. So when I think about this question, I I always think how how people accept it. At, uh, accepted it at that time, and it's it's too recent. And I actually, when I grow up, I I I, I saw many former slaves, and I listened to their stories, so I knew it very well. <laughs> and were there slaves in your or former slaves in your household, your grandmother's household? Uh, n- not in in my no. in my, my, but yes, in the area, yes. How did you? meet them? We are from the same town. Mm-hmm. We, we meet and you know in, in, in Oman uh, all people know if you are from a very small town then you know each other and mm-hmm. you, uh, we visit each other. But uh, the most important experience for me I think regarding this issue uh, was my grandmother's gathering uh, every night because she's like a um, very strong woman mm. and she has uh, attracted a lot of people to come to her house and to spend you know nights there talking, chatting and these people, some of them were old men as well were from different classes so they just gathered there and you know talking so I heard a lot of stories from these people. You mentioned poetry as being important in your family, and poetry is very important in the book, both as a theme and, and as a form. And of course, it's um, the, the heart of Arabic literature's poetry. How, um, how, did, how did you explore poetry in your own family? And um, what does it mean for you as a writer? It means a lot. Um, uh, When I was little, I used to visit my grandfather, um, who was perhaps, I mean, maybe he was the last classical great poet in Oman. He he, he wrote in Mm. classical way, like in two... Into, uh, in, into like verses, the yes. same verses called in Arabic. So he, he wrote in that classical way. What was his name? Uh, his name is Ahmed Al-Harthi. Mm. Um, so w- when we visited him, he was always reacting to events in life and to questions and to different situations in poetry. Uh, uh, maybe he, 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 he speaks poetry, so uh, he uh, always u- uh, used uh, verses from Al-Mutanabi or Al-Ma'ari or Bashar bin Bord. And at the same time, and many years later, I spent like 10 years collecting his uh, 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 poems and pub- editing them and publishing them. Oh, really? Yes. After be, he, he died in 1995, I think. Mm. So 10 years later, I start to... to. Anyway, uh, my mother, uh, his daughter, 
she wasn't a poet herself, but she's a big fan of poetry. So she used to cook or to sew and just reciting verses of um, Nizar Qabbani or Mahmoud Darwish or classical poets like Al Mutanabi or Al Khansa. Uh, she memorized a lot of poetry. So this is how I grew up. Poetry was in the air. And it, f for me, when I was little, it's just very natural to react in poetry to questions or to uh, life situations. It was very normal in my, in my family to react in poetry. And uh, uh, so when I was like, I think, 11 or, or 12, I memorized very long uh, poems. And I remember one of them was Al-Atlal by Ibrahim Naji. It was so romantic. So I memorized all of it without knowing that the famous singer Um Kulthum actually sang it. <laughs> I didn't know that at that really? time. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, 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 it's very important to me, and uh, and till today I, I I really enjoy it hugely. Um, the other thing is uh, the, the the novel, the characters in the novel. Uh, we have two characters, uh, Al Qadi Yusuf, the, the judge, mm. and uh, his murid or his student uh, Azan. Um, they received traditionally edu uh, traditional education, which doesn't mean at that time that you study Islamic law and uh, uh, you know Arabic grammar. And uh, uh, but it also means that you have to master classical poetry. Mm. Uh, so if you want to be a judge or a respected <laughs> person in, in in society, you have to memorize poetry. So that's what happened to Azan. And then he found himself in a strange situation when he fell in love with Najiya the moon. He couldn't express himself in other way. So he just started to recite Majnoon Layla for her. Oh. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, in, in Arabic, this novel is um, extraordinarily poetic. And I know that um, even though people may not understand it, it would be wonderful to hear, yes. hear you read it in Arabic because it has this Thank extraordinary you. sort of musical quality. Thank you. Um, what about this passage? Uh, this is one of the three sisters in uh, the novel, and she's going to marry an artist who... Uh, came from Cairo, he is Omani, immigrated to Cairo, and then came back, and she's going to marry him. And looking at herself in the mirror in her wedding night, observing her body and remembering the change happened in her body. This is Hawla. Asma. Asma, sorry, yes. Yes. وقفت أسماء أمام المرآة التي طالما وقفت أمامها خولة. رأت فتاة مربوعة لما تصل العشرين بعينين عسليتين واسعتين وأنف قصير أحست أن أهدابها ثقيلة بطبقات الماسكرا وأن فمها المصبوغ بالأحمر يشبه حقا فم مهرج 
ألقت نظرة خاطفة على جسدها المحشور في الدشداشة اللامعة الضيقة دشداشة العرس التي اختارتها أمها وأم العريس وملئت بالتطريز عند النحر والأكمام والذيل أحست بالقلق الغامض يداهمها مرة أخرى تشاغلت بالنظر إلى نقوش الحناء في يديها ثم نظرت إلى جسدها في المرآة مرة أخرى ابتسمت بتوتر لمرأة صدرها المرفوع تذكرت رعبها حين فاجأتها إشارات الأنوثة الأولى قبل بضع سنوات كيف كرهت هذا البروز الطفيف وواظبت على الدعاء كل ليلة قبل النوم كي يختفي في الصباح ثم امتثلت لأشهر طويلة لإرشادات أختها ميا بشأن إخفائه قالت ميا في ذلك المساء المظلم وهي تستمع لبكاء أسماء عند الفلج حيث يغسلن الملابس لا تخافي يا أسماء هذه شحمة جديدة إذا فركتها بالماء والملح بتذوب وإذا طلعت شحمة قاسية مثل ما طلعت معي فسأضيق لك كل فانيلاتك الداخلية حتى تنضغط الشحمة ولا يراها أحد كانت أسماء لا تستطيع التنفس أحيانا من ضيق فانيلاتها كما أدى الملح إلى تقشر صدرها الصغير الذي ظل ينمو رغم كل شيء حتى أمرتها أمها بلبس اللحاف وعلمتها كيف تلفه حول رأسها بحيث يغطي صدرها أيضا فعادت للتنفس بحرية وتوقفت عن دعائها كل ليلة So this is, passage was about what are the sisters. There are there, there are three of them. They're very, very, very different. They, they really stand at the heart of the book. Um, but there's nothing um, stereotyped about them. Tell us how you went about thinking about creating those three different characters. Yeah. Was I expected to provide stereotypes? <laughs> I know Arab world is full of stereotypes in the eyes of the other. Um, but I think stereotypes are funny, superficial. Mm. And I think people's lives are far much complicated, far much interesting, far much real than stereotypes. Mm. Um, and I always believe that relationships are very complicated. And people change as well. So my so some of my characters change throughout mm. throughout their lives. Yes, one in particular. Um, one of this I need to come back to that later on. There's also a very strong sense of place, yes. not just of um, physical place, but in a way of sort of um, psychological place. The place called forgetting. Tell us about that. Oh. Um, the place called forgetting. Maybe it's the place for wishes. Um, the place that uh, Habib wishes to go to, mm. to forget his horrible uh, journey uh, uh, from Blushistan, taken as a slave to Oman. And maybe it's the place that uh, Abdullah wishes that his daughter London, she was called London, uh, uh, went to uh, to forget her 
agony from the fir uh, the first love uh, uh, she encounters in her first love experience uh, uh, so uh, maybe it's it's the place that a lot of characters wishes to go to and at the same time resist to go to it's it's complicated place there's <laughs> mm. obviously something that you've thought about a great deal i mean the whole the, the whole book, just uh, the page, has a sense not of being um, worked over into stiffness, but but um, worked over in a writerly sense. Now, you said in the past that that it was Edinburgh that forced you to write. Yes. What, what <laughs> do you mean by that? Well, uh, I mean, for me, Edinburgh is second home. It's, uh, it's a beautiful city. I, I love it. And um, uh, uh, everything about Edinburgh is inspiring for me, mm. uh, like um, these, uh, you know, small uh, bookshops and tiny cafes and galleries, uh, film house, everything is just inspiring. And also, I made wonderful uh, friendships here, and my friends... Uh, are from different backgrounds and different cultures. So they uh, opened up my mind, and uh, uh, that helps a lot when you are a writer mm. to see different aspects of life. But uh, going back to 2005, when I first came to Edinburgh with my husband and my little daughter, she was nine months old, <laughs> and... Um, it, I, I carried a few blocks with me. Um, let's say the block of language, the block of expression, uh, the block of work. You mean building blocks? I, yeah, Things. I mean, it was a bit difficult. Uh, it was a bit difficult experience uh, because uh, I have traveled before, but at that time I knew that I'm, I'm going to stay for a few years. And I have to write my PhD in English. And the longest paragraph I have written in English was like three lines. Wow. <laughs> and, and here we are. I'm in Edinburgh. I knew nobody here. And then I went to the university with this heavy accent. And <laughs> it was disaster. It was very difficult. Um, and it was freezing. <laughs> <laughs> For me, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> so then one one night, I I just and we couldn't find like decent flat at the beginning. So we we keep moving with the little mm. with the little baby from one apartment to another. So at one night, I just came to the apartment and hid under the bed, and <laughs> just longing to go to the warmth of my mother. And uh, at that point, I started writing Celestial Bodies. Uh, uh, I, I, I feel like, of course, before that, I always dreamed of writing it. And I, I had like few ideas and like I imagined like some scenes, but I don't have the whole plot in my mind. I just have ideas. So when I was really in this tight situation, I started to write and then... I spent nights and nights just writing, and at some point, I, I, I just feel balanced. I write my PhD in English, 
and my novel in Arabic, and that was perfect. And then things became better and better for me, so I write slowly <laughs> then, mm. but uh, it was very good. So thanks to Edinburgh. Excellent. <laughs> so do you see um, fiction as having... Is it a moral agent for you? Well, uh, I don't think that fiction is like, like I don't think that the novelist is a preacher. I, I don't like to be a preacher. And uh, I, the thing that I would expect from a good text is to enjoy it. Mm. I, I would rather enjoy a text than uh, find the moral <laughs> uh, aspects in it. Uh, but, of course, good novels uh, teach us. Mm. But how? If they, if they are direct discourse, if they just teach us directly, th then this is not a good novel for me. Mm. Uh, it has to teach me without me knowing that I have been taught. <laughs> I have uh, just to enjoy and, uh, you know, and enter the world of it, and then I will learn. Um, so if my novel um, like uh, capable to uh, uh, to bring the uh, the universal values uh, of uh, humanity or um, like empathy then this is moral for me <laughs> so um, one of the things that the book does is it it's, it introduces not just the three, the three sisters but um, sort of fictional women characters or fictional female characters and the original Arabic title of Celestial Bodies was Sadiat al-Kamar which means the ladies of the moon and the passage I want to read you in English introduces Zoka's Bedouin moon character for the first time it's we encounter Azan, the man that, um, that Joker talked about before, who is um, married to... He's the husband of one of the other characters, Salima, and he works for the judge. And he's walking back to Alawafi, Ala his, his small home village, um, on foot. He smiled to himself and was on the point of humming a tune when he was startled by the sight of a human shadow between the rises of the sand. In the name of God, he muttered, and took two quick steps back. The shadow came towards him slowly and without any flicker of hesitation. Who's there? Azan called out. Me. He was startled to hear a woman's voice come back to him. A moment's silence and a tall woman stood close before him. She pulled off her burku. He felt himself somehow grow calmer. Who are you, and what do you want? The woman met his gaze with utter directness. Her pure, resolute beauty and the steady gleam in her large eyes disconcerted him. Her piercingly sweet fragrance and the way she stood right there so close to him was even more disturbing. But it was her words that truly made him lose what was his already fragile sense of control. I am Najia. I am Kamar, the moon. It is you I want. 
For many years to come, these words would reverberate through his head. I am Najia, I am the moon, Kamar, and it is you I want. Azan had not known many women in the course of his life. Certainly he'd never known a woman of such resolution and valour, a woman called after the moon itself. She deserved an even greater name than that. She was more beautiful than any image he had ever seen or would ever see again in the whole of his life. In the moonlight, she looked like he imagined a hoodie of paradise must look. Those women of heaven above of whom God had given tidings to his believing servants. Now she swayed towards him, a silent movement that spoke her resolve. He gripped his sandals, shoved them tightly under his arm and fled running as fast as he could in the direction of Alawafi, unable to think a single thought about anything at all. I love the moon <laughs> character. I think she's so wonderful. So who, who are the w- warrior women that, um, that you talk about? <laughs> well, um, legendary women are my grandmothers, mm. my mother, my aunties, my cousins, my neighbors, my sisters, and all uh, Bedouin women in the area. Um, every, every woman is a treasure box of stories. Mm. And every story doesn't, uh, 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 is, is unique uh, and is a fascination. These women shaped my awareness since childhood. Uh, either it's uh, the old woman who never held a book in her hands or a young woman who traveled to the best universities in the world, whether it's uh, the servant who lived her entire life serving the others without being attended to ever, or the princess who lived in her castle or palace for 50 years before she realized that there is a life beyond the palace. Mm. I saw women weaving the threads of life, all colorful threads, uh, love, uh, hate, uh, fabric, children. I knew the fearless ones, the strong ones, the patient ones, the obedient ones, the weak ones, the desirable ones, the desired ones, the deserted ones, and, and uh, even ones who create miracles without even believing it. Mm. <laughs> These are <laughs> the women that I knew. So there are women who would have seen extraordinary changes over the 20th century. And in your book, Haula is the, is the sister who changes the most. Tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, I think uh, Khawla was just playful, like like mm. little girl, and with uh, limited expectations in life. She grew up in a very small village of Al-Awafi, and she, was, she cared just about her beauty, looking herself in the mirror and trying the new lipsticks and so on. And then uh, she was uh, expecting her childhood sweetheart 
to uh, come back from Canada and marry her. That's why she refused, she refused all the proposals. He's, uh, he's gone to Canada to study yeah, scholarship. Yeah, but then he stayed there and they <coughs> never heard about him again. But she thought in a very romantic way that he would come again and marry her. Uh, then things changed for her and uh, then she changed her herself and at, at one point uh, r the, the reader would think that she settled and she got what she, she wanted uh, but for her uh, the past came again and she couldn't bear it, bear it anymore so she, she had to have uh, different decisions in, in her life. Different decisions. decisions with describing yes. it. <laughs> different decisions. So we talked about um, the, um, the 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 press reaction and the great number of articles that were written about you, and you you sort of glossed over the different kinds of press reaction. Some of it, a lot of it, was immensely positive, but some of it was not. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that and and what it made you feel. Uh, I didn't read everything <laughs> to ease my mind. <laughs> um, well, uh, there are two different levels. One level is uh, from people who, uh, who uh, belong to cultural community. And for these people in Arab world or in Oman, uh, they were uh, proud of it. They were happy because it's the, the first time for Arabic literature to get this recognition. And uh, as I said, uh, a lot of uh, articles have been written about it. Um, and uh, so they think that this is a turning point for Arabic literature. Uh, at the same time, there are some articles who were more suspicious about it and as I said, they would rather th think that someone really well known would deserve it better than me. Um, on the other level, mass level, represented in social media, you know, everybody has access to social media, and um, uh, the opinions were very. Uh, some people who never read a novel in their life uh, they were like uh, curious and some of them actually read it. So uh, some people were simply happy about it, but some people weren't happy uh, in Oman because uh, they think that the novel did reveal uh, many aspects of Omani uh, society, uh, uh, social, uh, economic, even personal, that they would rather uh, not talking about. Uh, uh, as you said, slavery, for example, uh, they, some people think it's a sensitive issue. The time is not right mm. to talk about it. And uh, some people simply doesn't like that the, the novel is open, too open <laughs> for, for them. So yeah, uh, but as I said, I didn't follow everything. Mm. I, I just read them the most important lines. <laughs> Excellent. So I think um, I've asked lots of questions. Probably time for somebody else to have a chance to, to ask some questions as well. So the lights have gone up. We've got um, 
handheld microphones that are going to come round to people. It's lovely to see this hall almost packed, but you know it's not an enormous hall, and this has been quite an intimate conversation. It would be lovely if you could tell us who you are before you ask your question. This lady was the quickest, the one in the blue top. <laughs> Hi, Joka. Thank you Hi. for your work. Um, my question was mainly to do with your referral to poetry and how important it was in your life and in your story and journey. Were you worried about translating it to foreign languages? Were you worried about something lost in translation? And how involved were you with that process and choosing the words? So Thank we you. haven't talked about the translation. That actually is an incredibly important part of it because this is one of the rare prizes, um, although it's becoming increasingly common, where the prize money is equally shared between um, the author and the translator. And Marilyn Booth, the translator, sadly can't um, be here, but this is a, a question we should offer up for her. Yes. Were you nervous at all about the translator no. or the translation? No. When I uh, was writing Celestial Bodies, it never crossed my mind that this is going to be translated. So I didn't worry <laughs> at all. I didn't worry even about Arabic reader not understanding this classical poetry because I thought that my character needs that for, for them, for, for the characters. Mm. Uh, uh, but then when Marlene both, and I'm, I'm glad that she's my translator, she's, she just she gets the, the right sense of it, and she's precise. So when she started, uh, you know, <laughs> translating it, we, we, we had a discussion about it, and it, it, it was very <laughs> um, fruit... Uh, yes. Very true to the book. Yes. Very true to yes. the book. Yes, yes. How many languages has it been translated into? Uh, now I, I signed contracts for, I think, what is my agent? 13, 14 languages, I think. Fantastic. Yes, 13 yes. or 14 languages. Yes. Wow. Uh, God, God help them, the translator. <laughs> <laughs> can, we have a, can we have a microphone here? This lady right in the front would like to ask a question there. Julie Grenfell from New Zealand. Um, you mentioned when you were younger you read Agatha Christie. What English writing novelists have you enjoyed, do you enjoy now? Yeah, excellent question about influences and who you enjoy. Julie's yes. from New Zealand. You mentioned yeah. Agatha Christie. Who else? Um, a lot, a lot of authors. I, I, when, when I, uh, I think when I was in university, I enjoyed Virginia Woolf very much, and uh, nowadays I'm reading Alice Smith. Excellent, much loved in the festival. Yes. For English authors. Yes. Uh, for other authors, I. I, when, w when we talk about translation, uh, imagine, I, I imagine that the world without translation, then that means that I would grow up without 
without reading uh, Kawabata, Tinizaki, Mishima, mm -hmm. uh, Marquis, Margaret Yorosnar, Kafka. I mean, I, I can't imagine this. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine who would I be without reading them, what my writing would be without reading them. And you read them in Arabic? In Arabic, all mm -hmm. of them. I read all of them in Arabic. Because as I said, I just start learning English when I come to do my PhD in English. So. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Hi, um, I've just got a question regarding What's the... Your name? Uh, Christy, sorry. Christy. Originally from Canada, live here now. <laughs> yes. um, I've got a question regarding the publishing house that you're with, the Sandstone Press. And obviously you said you've done your PhD here, but was that the primary reason for going with this sort of Scottish publishing house or was there something more behind that? Um, especially because I know it's quite a small one, so I was just intrigued by um, how you went along. They are process. here, I'm warning you. So <laughs> <laughs> So that's an interesting question because you're with a very, very major international agent, the Andrew Wiley Agency, big office in New York, big office in London. And um, it's true that y y you went with this very small um, but distinguished Inverness <laughs> publishing house. You have house. to say that. <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, because they, they simply get interested in my novel mm. and... Uh, <coughs> Uh, that that's great of them. They they and they uh, they they think uh, that uh, it's written in empathy way. So yes. they they uh, they just get interested in it and give my agent the offer. So we accept it. Excellent. There you go. And it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's a sort of sign of how important it is for an author to go with that instinct with what they feel about the editor and the publishing house that they're going to encounter don't necessarily feel that a huge conglomerate with its enormous marketing department is going to do the thing for your book. In the end, it's about um, the empathy, the, the, the emotional relationship you have with the people you're going to be working with, because if you don't have that, they won't get it. Yes, I, I totally agree. We've got um, about six or seven minutes more. We can have some, some more questions. We've got two questions here. Do we have the, the lady behind you in the gold jacket? Sorry, we'll do you next. Hello, Mary Short. Uh, I'm from London. And uh, I have a question in terms of your choice of the um, name for the novel, uh, particularly in Arabic. I know there's a lot of significance about the moon. What's behind the choice of the, the name? And also, why you didn't just do a direct translation into English for your title? Good question. So, <laughs> yes. so the titles mean different things in different yes. languages? They sort of play on words? Yes. Uh, yeah, for, for Arabic title first. I, um, I usually finish the novel and then think about the title. So I had like lists and then mm. tick them and phoned my sister and saying, what about that and that? And they would say, this is awful, this is not good. <laughs> And then, sh so it took months until I came up with Sayyidat al-Qamar. Mm. So imagine after I came up with this good title, in my opinion, I have to choose another one for English <laughs> edition. It's, it's, uh, it's painful. Uh, but uh, then uh, I think uh, uh, my translator thing, uh, th thought that the direct translation wouldn't give the sense. And maybe ladies of the moon or women of the moon wouldn't be uh, we didn't give the right sense in English as it is in Arabic. 
so after discussions with her and with my agent, we came up with celestial bodies, which has like um, metaphorical as, as well mm. aspect. I think one of the things about titles, just like about picture captions, but particularly also titles, is if you have to work it out, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And if you, you understand about the Ladies of the Moon once you've read the book, but you don't really... I think if you picked it up and saw Ladies of the Moon, it wouldn't resonate quite in s- the same way. So I think you probably made a wise choice for myself. I think Celestial yeah. Bodies... In yeah. English is a very, very I very hope good that one. I don't have to ch- choose so many for the other the translations. 14. <laughs> 14 more 14 titles. 14 titles, <laughs> no. <laughs> I know you wanted to ask a question there. Thank you. Uh, my question is about the press after the uh, prize, that most of the articles, both in English and in Arabic, they focused a lot on this, to- that, that the book is a story on three t- uh, sisters. And I'm just, you know, wondering how fair is that for the novel with all the ladies, you know, especially Najia, you know, the more, mm. and actually Zarifa. Um, what, you know, what's your comment on that? Yeah, I, I kind of understand this uh, uh, because it's written in the publisher, you know, in the, pub- the, the publisher wrote it in the back of uh, the, uh, uh, of the Celestial Bodies, the in- English story. So people just uh, f- in the village of Alawafi in Oman live three sisters. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but you are right. It's it's about uh, other people as as well. And for me, um, Zarifa is as important mm. as Asma or as Khawla. I mean, I mean, she's very important character, and she's not one of the three sisters. Mm. But maybe when we focus on one family, then their relationships could be. Uh, uh, in that. Mm. There's a lady there in the second row. Thank you. <coughs> Hi, Joha. Thank you very much. That was really inspiring. Um, my name is Nasma. I actually moved to the UK as well for very similar reasons. I'm currently doing my MFA in creative writing. So, um, so as an aspiring author, that was really great to kind of hear your story. Um, Given that I'm I'm less focused on the sort of writing in Arabic and more in English, but writing similar stories about my ethnic background as well, um, it would be good to know the sort of the process because you said that you'd written it over five years, so it would be nice to kind of know why that is or, or how how it took you, you know, where it took you in those five years. Yes. Yeah. So part of the journey, this lady's doing a master's in fine arts and <laughs> creative writing. We had um, two or three authors earlier in the week, one of them who said that he starts his book as scraps and, he, and, it, and it becomes a collage. Another one who said um, he starts with the character and everything, everything comes out of character. How, what, what sort of novelist... Uh, creator are you? Well, I admire novelists who write every day, but I can't do that. I, I have full-time job as associate professor. And, and three children. And three children, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, I write when writing calls, and uh, when these calls became irresistible and I have, I have to write, then I can't avoid it, I have to write, then I, I, I have, to, 
and then I write. Uh, so I don't, I don't write like every day and not even every week. It depends. Um, but for this novel, uh, I, I just remember one moment. Uh, like maybe three years before writing it, I was sitting in my grandmother's uh, very traditional house in Oman. And that was her last days. And then I was watching all things surrounding me and thinking that all of this will vanish. She will vanish and all of these things, which is very traditional ways of life. And I feel, I feel this dream I, to, to write about it, mm. to put it in words, to preserve it, to reserve it in, word, in words and not let it go. Uh, and of course, uh, my, my grandmother died and they changed the house completely and they changed everything else. And everything changed in Oman so rapidly that you can't even think about it. And so people sometimes are confused towards values. They, 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 they used to think in different way and then their children are thinking in different way. So it's very uh, complicated because it's really rapid. And um, I'm thinking of this and thinking of slavery, all the stories I, I heard and uh, uh, reading actually about it. And I, I was lucky to find some documents about it. So I, I, I read and then I came to Edinburgh and start writing. Uh, uh, but I don't have everything in mind in advance. I just have, I just know few few plots, not everything. And when my characters start to get to enroll in, in unplanned events, I know that I'm writing a real novel because they are free now. They can enroll in their own uh, uh, events. Wonderful. There you go. Free your characters. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm very slow. That's why it took me five years. <laughs> one last one here. This gentleman here in the front. Thank you. We need to be a bit quick. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm Eckhart Thiemann from the Schubach Festival, and it's very nice to see mm -hmm. you again, uh, Joka. My question picks up on what you've just started to speak about. Um, what kind of research you've done the novel goes over several generations, as you said, and charts the society in transition. Um, and you talked about how many people you've spoken to, your neighbors, your grandmothers, etc. Um, what other research have you done? Have you visited archives or, or history books or spoke to historians? Or is it all drawn from oral experience and what did you do with this? Do you write down the stories after someone tells you a story? Mm -hmm. So how do you gather your material that you've drawn on to chart this novel? Yeah, nice to meet you again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, I, I will try to be brief uh, here, but it's very complicated process actually. You can't hear a story and then write it as it is. And uh, uh, you, you, you need to process in that and to add from your imagination and then if I uh, if I know a story I can't write it as it is 
no no way i mean for me it's it's uh, it has to be different and also for researching there is uh, like uh, uh, archives and uh, Edinburgh University uh, has many uh, 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 books and documents that I I read, uh, especially about slavery, and about and especially about how people were brought from East Africa to Oman, and uh, uh, and and then I also studied some pictures that took in Oman in 50s and uh, 40s. So I studied this picture and to imagine how life was like and how houses, people and uh, sort of things. Uh, but when you write, you shouldn't, you, you should be very careful not to write a, a direct history. Uh, I mean, I mean, uh, you, you, uh, the reader uh, has uh, to get the sense of the history, not the, 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 the as I said, I don't like to teach in, in a direct way. Mm. Yes. Thank you so much. You make it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, We are going to the bookshop now where um, Jocko will be signing books. And um, I just want to say to you the nicest thing you can do for an author, I mean, the nicest thing you can do for an author is to buy their book. (laughs) So I hope we'll see you there. Jocko, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Find out more about the Book Festival at edbookfest.co.uk and keep up to date on events, booking information and more by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search at edbookfest. The Edinburgh International Book Festival takes place every August in Charlotte Square Gardens.